it is. Good morning. I know we have visitors. I've said hello to them. It's good to see you again. And some of you, I'm seeing you again for the first time. That's how my mind is. I'm, I hope that others have treated you with kindness and welcoming. I'm Pastor Dan, for those that don't know. And this morning, my sermon is Resolutions for a New Year. My text is the Epistle of James, chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. And of course, you'll find that in your bulletin. It's an insert that has the text in the New King James, as well as the title. Uh, I'd like for you all to be looking at the New King James, not because I'm selling the New King James Bibles, but because... We are all in the same word. We can look at the words that I reference, and you've got the same word before you. And of course, there is a sermon outline for your easy reference. Let's look with me to Psalm 1914, that I may call upon God for his anointing on these my words. So, dear Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You know, as you may know, John Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, was an American revivalist preacher and theologian in the 1700s. When Jonathan Edwards was a young man, he he made five resolutions, and he lived by them faithfully. I want to read these to you. These, These were, one, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Two, resolved never to lose a moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I can. Three, resolved, never to do anything which I should despise or think meanly of in another. Fourth, resolved, never to do anything out of revenge. And fifth, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. You know, I would suggest to you that the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards would be good resolutions for every one of us, especially as we close out one year and begin a new year. And I venture to say that all of us have, at one time or another, made a New Year resolution. But someone has said that the weakness of most New Year resolutions is that they simply go in one year and out the other. And all that I said, the resolutions are like babies crying in church. They must be carried out to be good. Well, as we look at our text, we see that James is talking about the future. In verse 13, he refers to the plans that certain ones have for the year before them. And we read, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. James speaks to us about the attitudes we should have about the days that are before us. And James tells us that when we consider the year that is before us, that there is much about the future that is uncertain. He tells us in verse 14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. And so he reminds us that we don't even know what tomorrow holds, much less the year. Let me say that even though we may not know what we face in the future, we should know how to face that future. One of the ways to face the new year is to settle certain things in our heart and lives. 
You know, there are certain spiritual resolutions that we should make about how we're going to approach and face the new year. And I want us to gather from what James said certain spiritual resolutions for this new year. And I want you to notice that James is speaking to us concerning, first, a daily measured life. In verse 13, James speaks of those who are making plans about the future. And we read again, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Their plans were obviously to go to a certain city and over the next year buy and sell and make a profit. And the words come now is similar to our expression, now look here, these are our plans. And James is saying, you're making all these big plans, but there is something you are failing to consider. And he continues in verse 14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Now, James was not condemning their plans or their ambition, but was reminding them of the uncertainty of life and the perspective that we should view all our future plans. So first, consider how life must be assessed. James asked the question, what is your life? He then describes life as a vapor, and the word vapor speaks of a mist. He tells us that our lives are like a mist that appears for a short time, then is gone. So James is reminding us of the brevity of life. And other Bible writers have spoken of the brevity of life. For example, Job 7, 6-7 states, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. And remember that my life is a breath. Psalm 39, 4-5 states, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Listen, life at its longest, is brief and short. In the big picture, we are like a mist that is here for a short time and then vanishes away. Now the young in this place look into the future thinking the years will never come. And I can remember thinking my 16th birthday would never get there so I could get my driver's license. And yet the oldest in this place Look back and wonder where all the years have gone. We say, it seems like yesterday. But reality, years have passed. Life is very brief, a very brief experience. An unknown writer has given us these words. Many of you have already heard these before. Listen. When as a child I laughed and wept, Time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became full grown, a full grown man, time ran. When older still I grew, time flew. Soon I shall find in passing on, time gone. You know, someone has said, it has been proven that married life is healthy. 
And statistics show that single people die sooner than married folks. So if you are looking for a long life and a slow death, get married. (laughs) I wasn't sure you'd get it. Married or not, life is but a vapor. It is short and brief. And the proper way to assess life is that at its longest, it is a brief experience. Secondly, consider how life must be approached. I read an Arabian fable of a merchant in Baghdad that sent his servant to the market. Before long, the servant returned white and trembling, and he said to his master, Down in the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd. When I turned and looked, I saw that it was death that jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Please lend me a horse that I might hasten to Samara and hide there so death cannot find me. The master loaned him a horse, and the servant galloped away in haste. Later, the merchant went to the marketplace and saw death standing in the crowd. And he went over to her and he said, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make a threatening gesture? And death replied, That was not a threatening gesture. I was only startled and surprised. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I had an appointment with him tonight in Samara. You could say that each of us has an appointment in Samara. And as James has described, someday, one day, life will vanish away. And life, therefore, is neither predictable nor permanent. You know, the only day of which we are certain of is the day that we have. And so, therefore, life must be approached one day at a time. Remember, yesterday is in the tomb of time. Tomorrow is in the womb of time. Today is the only time you have. And since life must be assessed as brief and must be approached as consisting of the only day before us, then a resolution should be made such as this, is that we will be all we should be and we will do all we should do this day. We often say, one of these days I'm going to get around to doing this or that. We don't know that we have another day. Therefore, we should live one day at a time. What we ought to do today should be done today. What we ought to be today, we ought to be this day. So if you're not saved, today is the day to be saved. If you're not living for God, you ought to start today. If you're out of the will of God, you should get in the will of God today. If you're not working for God, you should start working for God today. You know, a spiritual resolution for the new year ought to be that you're going to be what you should be and do what you should do each day for the rest of your life beginning today. Live one day at a time and live each day at a time. Yesterday is a canceled check. Tomorrow is a promissory note. Today is the only cash you have. So that is a daily measured life. Then consider a divinely managed life. In verse 13, we read the words, you who say. In verse 15, we read the words, 
You ought to say. They were saying, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And James reminds them that they ought to be saying, we will do this and that if it be the Lord's will. So we read in James 14, 15, For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. What James is describing is a divinely managed life. It is a life that suggests two great truths. The first great truth is this, that God determines the existence of life. James just got through speaking of life as a vapor that sometimes just vanishes away. And so at verse 15, he tells us that all future plans hinge upon God's will. Therefore, reminding us that God is the one that determines how long our life will exist and when our life will end. And Job reminds us of this fact in Job 14.5, which states, The number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. So behind our starting point and our stopping place is God's management of our life. He's the one that sets each individual's boundaries of life. I want you to notice James 4, 16 of our text. But now you boast in arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James reminds us that it is wrong to presume that we are the masters of our fate and boast in all that we're going to do as if nothing could happen that is outside our control. And the simple truth is, it's up to God whether or not we will be around in a year or even one more day. God is one that determines the existence of life. And the second great truth is that God directs the events of life. God not only controls the when of our life, He also controls the what of our life. He's the one who determines how long we will live and what happens while we live. I want you to notice Acts 16.10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. When you read that passage in, in context, you see that the Lord has altered plans for Paul regarding his travel. He has redirected him to Macedonia, not where he was intending to go. But I want you to notice in particular the words assuredly gathering. It would be the same as saying, I came to the conclusion that the Lord had called us. He came to the conclusion that God was directing his events. Paul was saying that all things that happened in his life worked for the purpose of God's will being done in his life. So we have to understand that the events in our life is all God's doings in order that God's will and purpose will be done in our lives. Life is not a series of accidents. It is a series of appointments. God directs the events of our life in order to bring about His will for our life. Therefore, a spiritual resolution we ought to make for the new year is, Lord, I want to yield to your management of my life. In other words, you could be saying, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. Listen, Jesus Christ does not come into your life on the basis of a democracy, but on the basis of a dictatorship. You know, at a meeting of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Bobby Richardson, a former New York Yankee second baseman, prayed a prayer that was brief but to the point. He prayed, Dear God, Your will, 
Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. You know, since our life is ultimately in his hands, we ought to just surrender our life to his hands. So one, a daily measured life, and two, a divinely managed life. And now number three, a diligently mastered life. The final spiritual resolution that we get from our text is found in verse 417, which states, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. See, James tells us that we ought to be conscious and concerned about sin in our life. Instead of sin mastering us, we ought to master sin. And as believers, we cannot take sin lightly, and we should not ignore sin of any kind in our life. Think with me. First, the confession of sin. The heart and soul of what James says is to get us to acknowledge our sin before God and and to admit our sin to God. James is wanting us to realize what sin is and then confess that sin. Like David in Psalm 32, 5, which states, he states, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Confession simply means to agree with God. When God said something is sin, we must agree with that and then come to God and deal with that sin. Why? Well, listen to Proverbs 28.13, which states, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Listen. And listen carefully. God will not hear our prayers and cannot bless us with unconfessed sin in our life. But notice carefully the definition that James gave of sin. James tells us that sin is not just when we do something wrong. It is also when we fail to do what is right. What we, what we call the sins of commission, doing what we know we should not do, James is adding the sins of omission, not doing what we know we should do. James is telling us that when we know that we are to do certain things and we don't do it, it is sin. For example, we know that we should be in church on Sunday, and when we're not, It is sin. When we know that we are to tithe and we don't, it is sin. When we know that we are to be witnesses for Christ and we never tell anybody about Christ, it is sin. I don't know of any better way to close out one year and start a new year than searching our hearts and dealing with any sin that might be there. It may involve something that has been in our hearts for years. I think about a woman whose mother lived in a retirement village. And she had tried for several days to reach her by phone, but was not able to do so. She finally called her daughter and asked if she had heard from her grandmother. She said, I have called and called that no one is there. I'm worried about her. Her daughter said, oh, they're having a revival at the retirement center. And I bet that's where she has been when you've called. The mother said, Revival? 
What on earth are they doing to need a revival at a retirement center? What kind of sins could they possibly have at a retirement center? And the daughter said, old ones, mother, old ones. (laughs) Confession is the purging of old sins and the preventing of new ones. Secondly, the cleansing of sin. John tells us in 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, when we confess our sins, we are cleansed from our sins. And this is the spiritual resolution we should make. Lord, I don't want anything in my heart or life that is displeasing to you. I want to be clean before you. And let me give you a verse that forms the basis of this resolution. It is found in Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know, the word keep is descriptive of a guard. Solomon, the wisest man of time, tells us to guard our hearts. In fact, He places a double emphasis on this matter of guarding our hearts to show its importance because the word diligence also has basically the same meaning. It speaks of a guard or a man on a post at a prison to guard prisoners. In our case, we are guarding our hearts to keep godly thoughts in and at the same time guarding our hearts to keep certain things out. So we ought to take great care to guard our hearts from anything that displeases God. When we do sin, confess that sin, that we may be cleansed and forgiven. It's simply a matter of staying clean. And as we close out 2018 and move into 2019, if we make any year resolutions, we ought to make these three resolutions, these spiritual resolutions that I've highlighted in this sermon. To review... One, I will do today what I ought to do. I will be today what I ought to be. Two, I will let Jesus be Lord of my life and manage my life according to his will. And three, I will guard my heart and life and do nothing that would displease my Lord. Amen? Amen. Service is over. Go with the grace, strength, and force and power of the Lord Jesus. As we face 2019, you will definitely need that. Worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 24-7. You know, we have to introduce the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to the lost world because salvation can only be found in the true God that we worship. And that salvation can only be found in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in 2019 and beyond. Amen? Amen. Amen.